0: Intelligence, or what we call intelligence, in my opinion, is overrated. There is such a thing as intelligence, but it's not really what is measured in IQ tests. You know, when you answer a question in an IQ test, what you're looking at, what the examiners are looking at, is whether your answer corresponds to the answer that the examiners have decided. If it corresponds, they say, well, it's, you've got the question right. If it doesn't, well, you've got the question wrong. They're, they're not measuring imagination. In fact, it's the opposite of imagination. People who are very imaginative will often score well on IQ tests, and there is a negative correlation between IQ tests and imagination. That's been shown However, there is such a thing as intelligence, and it is useful, even though it's not necessarily what we see on an IQ test. Many years ago, I read an article which said that pri- um, prisoners in Israel who went before a parole board were more likely to be given parole if their cases were heard in the morning, than if their cases were heard in the afternoon. And it seemed that having a lunch, or particularly heavy lunch, changed the outlook of the people in the parole report. Now, I think I put this up on on Reddit, uh, which is a known hangout for atheists and other people of low intelligence. And the overwhelming replies that came back were on the lines of, well, you know, these Israelis, or um you know sucks to them if you're on a, on a parole board you'd want to get onto the morning or stuff like that nobody i don't think there was one person who brought up the obvious to, to me obvious implication that this was nothing to do with parole boards and nothing to do with israel but was in uh, obviously showed that when you had a, a heavy lunch your outlook when you're making important decisions would change and this has implications for people not just in courts and magistrates anywhere around the world but in other cases where people have to make sometimes life-changing decisions and in a way that's the sign of intelligence the question is how do you draw conclusions from a limited piece of information it's your ability to do that And people who score well on IQ tests, in general, aren't able to do that any better than anybody else. There are other factors which have to be taken into account. Now, when you do an IQ test, you have to score a certain amount of questions in a certain amount of time. So let's imagine you've got 30 minutes and you've got, I don't know, 150 questions. I've really got no idea how many you'd have. And let's say out of that, you know, you're expected to get a certain number right. Well, let's say somebody does this test, but they score very low. I mean, you might even find they've got a below average IQ. But if instead of giving them half an hour to answer those questions, you gave them, let's say, an hour and a half. I mean, not looking up at the internet or anything like that, just sitting down, being able to think about it. And let's say they scored the equivalent of somebody with a very high IQ, but they took three times as long to do it. What does that tell you about that person? Now, on paper, they've got a low IQ. But were you working with somebody like that, you might find, oh, yeah, you know, they're a bit slow sometimes, but, you know, they're going to get the right answer. They're going to come up with with good, good answers to things, insofar as IQ measures any of that at all, of course. But in my experience, what limits people's thinking ability and makes them appear to be intelligent or less intelligent, there's a number of factors. One is how emotional they are. And and often there's a negative correlation between being emotional and, and IQ which is rather, I suppose you could say it's rather a shame because you know it's very important to be able to experience emotions and of course people with high IQs, or rather let's put this the other way around, I was going to say people with high IQs can be sociopaths, but let's put this around the other way, sociopaths can have high IQs and sociopaths are cut off from their emotions. People who are very emotional often score low on IQ tests because the emotions get in the way. And it's not just the emotions, it's that busy mind. There's an exercise I give to people when they come in for counselling. I pretty well do this for everybody who comes in and you. And you can do this yourself. We take a number from zero to ten. And this number is an indication of how busy your mind is. So, zero, if you could imagine this, is a completely still mind, crystal clear with no thoughts. Ten is a mind that's jammed with thoughts, so jammed you couldn't get another thought in there. So, ask yourself, as a snapshot, where are you on that scale? Most people who come to me would be above six, probably seven, eight, nine, sometimes ten. Sometimes they like, say, oh, twenty two, you know, they're off the scale. And I ask them what would it be like to have a, a, a still mind completely clear, and some people say they couldn't imagine it. Now we do hypnosis, and we often get them down to a very low number. But when people come in and they have a low number below five, I usually find there's typically three reasons why they might have a number below five. One, if they're, if they're on a lot of antidepressants, the antidepressants. They simply suppress the thoughts. And my metaphor is like your thoughts are like a radio that goes on in your mind. And if that radio blares away and you can't control it, it gets out of control and it causes anxiety. Taking antidepressants is like taking a heavy raincoat, a heavy overcoat and throwing it over the radio. Muffles the sound. The problem is that radio can give good information, we have to learn to tune it and to control the volume. Simply suppressing it doesn't achieve anything and when you come off the antidepressants it gets worse than ever because you haven't learned to control it. The second most common reason why people get a very low number is simply because they have no awareness of what's going on in their mind. They're so They really have no idea what I'm talking about. And they say, oh, two, because they're not aware that those thoughts were... And often when you talk to them, you realise, no, it's not two. They've got a busy mind. They're, they're, They're non-stop, but they're so cut off from any kind of objectivity that they're unable to give me a proper answer. The third reason, which comes up occasionally, but is quite rare, is where people do a lot of meditation and are able to keep that very low. But when that number becomes very high, it stifles the thought processes this is why emotional people are often unable to correspond with with high intelligence they get waylaid by their emotions sometimes people come in and they get very emotional and they at work and might even be crying at work over things. And they say, you know, they want this dealt with through hypnosis. And I always ask them, I say, well, you you really don't want to be unemotional. And very often they say, oh, yeah, I'd love that. You know, these emotions are a curse. Well, they're not a curse. Without them, you're living a one-dimensional life and and it can make you quite... uh, Uh, a sociopath or, or something equivalent to that if you don't have the emotions. And the key is not to not feel the emotions, but to not let them overwhelm you. People who lack emotions, they can be very successful in the outer world. They're at point A and they want to get to point B and they will simply go from point A to point B and they don't care who they what they do in the process of getting there. And if you look at very some very successful businessmen, that's what they're like, not all. Emotional people might have that intention of going from point A to point B, but then the emotions waylay them. And they go to point W or N or Q. And somewhere on that journey, they may realise that actually they didn't really want to get to point B after all. Often towards as people get older, maybe into their 40s, they realised that all those ambitions they had about making money and so on were simply childish fantasies that were really of no consequence. Now, I often get in discussions with atheists and people of that ilk, and I'll give an example. I was talking to somebody, an atheist, the other week, and um, he read my paper on... Um, fifth dimensions, and the uh, and something I've talked about here, but it's on my website as well, philip.braham.net, um, about how consciousness, or what we call consciousness, is an attribute of the fifth dimension. And he said, oh, well, of course, he says, that makes perfectly logical sense, and um, I can't find any fault in the argument, but I don't accept your assumptions. Now, well, a lot of what people call beliefs, a better word for it is assumptions, as uh, you know, and I've talked about this before. Scientists, oh, you know, religious people, is all based on belief, not like us scientific people, which is based on evidence. Absolute nonsense. Um, that's so called science, and a lot of it isn't really science at all, it just goes under the name of science depends on a certain set of assumptions. It depends on an assumption that there's an objective world, well, that it can be experimented with. The idea of repeatability demands a whole load of assumptions. And um, peer review, well, let's not even go there because that's a purely subjective uh, attribute of, of, of what you're looking at. So science isn't uh, objective at all. It depends on a whole series of assumptions, and exactly the same as religion it depends on assumptions. We have to make certain assumptions. About life, and um, I have heard the argument from scientists oh no, science can change this assumption. its assumptions. Absolute nonsense. Yes, if you're doing quantum mechanics, you work from a different set of assumptions because it's a different science. And science at one time didn't just refer to the science that we called it today, science was a series of um, ways of looking at things from. A given set of assumptions, and it could be different sciences and and quantum mechanics makes different assumptions. but we can't mix and match. In quantum mechanics, objects can pass through walls, effects can happen um, bef- be- uh, be- before the the cause and, and things like this. But we can't take those assumptions and apply it to everyday life. We have to we have to pick and choose which set of assumptions we're going to use. And I've spoken to people about COVID and things like this. Now, I don't subscribe to the arguments that the governments use and and people use which they say is science, or the science even. Um, None of it makes any sense. Now, uh, some time ago, before this whole COVID thing, I remember uh, on the radio somebody saying that we ought to teach kids how to write resumes. Now, this is typical crap modern teaching. The, if you taught children how to, you know, the three what they used to call the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, reading, writing, how to do simple maths, even simple maths. But also, if you taught children how to formulate ideas and write them down clearly, not only would they be able to do resumes and do them well, but they'd also be able to do the thousand other things in life which require clear thinking and clear writing. So let's not teach kids how to write resumes, let's, re- let's just te- teach them what they, the skills that they need to learn. And one of those skills which isn't taught at all in um, public schools, um, you know, state schools, is how to think. Philosophy isn't taught. And just recently, I heard somebody on the radio, a similar idea, said, oh, we ought to teach children how to fact-check. Now, fact-checking is uh, a very, very poor excuse for uh, philosophy and and clear thinking. Fact-checking is not about looking at the argument and saying, does this argument make sense? Does it stand up? It's simply about saying, where does this argument come from? Does it come from a reputable source? So in other words, governments can give out crap upon crap upon crap, and you say, oh no, they pass the fact-checking because they come from government sources. So it comes self-perpetuating, even if these arguments don't make any logical or rational sense. I've said many times that the public, the whole public, with you know a few exceptions, the people who are brought up in the in the school system, people who come up through science, all subscribe to the idea of Darwinian theory that we evolve through some kind of random um, evolution. It doesn't make any sense if you actually look at the figures and look at it. And every discussion I've had, nobody has been able to support. The idea is, basically, when you talk to people about it, they start from the assumption, here we go again, assumptions, that, well, I must be an idiot because everybody knows that Darwin was right. And their argument, they argue with me not in order to see whether I've got any valid arguments or what I'm seeing makes sense, but simply to discredit. Well, obviously what they're saying is crap. I'm going to find out how, how it's crap. And if I can't find out how it's crap, well, it's crap anyway. So there's no um concept of changing your opinion, and this is how people think, or what passes for thought nowadays. And I find this when I talk to people about COVID none of it makes any sense. You know, the idea that vaccinated people and the idea of a vaccine is it stops you getting disease, has something to fear from people who are unvaccinated, doesn't make any logical sense. The idea of mass doesn't make any logical sense. And no, there is no evidence that masks stopped the spread. There is evidence that. You know, a mask will stop um, germs spreading, that it would stop um, bacteria spreading, that it stops spittle spreading and things like this. But there is no evidence whatsoever that it stops the spread of, of, of COVID, a virus. And there is a considerable amount of, ev- of evidence that it causes stress and anxiety because of um, lack of oxygen. But when you talk to people about this, it's the same way of thinking. They're arguing, not in order to say, "Well, do I have a valid argument?" But to say, "Well, it's obviously wrong because we all know that anti-vaxxers, whatever that is, you know, are all idiots and probably fascists, um, and have all been indoctrinated. So therefore, you know, if I do argue with them, it's just in order to find out why they're completely stupid." And I remember talking to somebody just the other day, and I said, none of this makes any sense, but she wasn't interested in listening to my argument. She just said, oh, you have your opinions and I have mine. Now, the point is that my opinions are based on a lot of research and rational thinking and so on, and hers had just been what the government had fed to her. Not all opinions are equally valid. And we have to be able to step back from opinions and look at evidence and look at thinking. It's very important that we actually look at the ideas. Now in the Quran, you know, people say, Oh, you know, the Quran's read by idiots who subscribe to, you know, indoctrination. No, it's people who come from a different set of assumptions, who don't assume that we live in a three dimensional or three and a half dimensional universe, but there are dimensions beyond ours. And when you have access to these dimensions, the three dimensions we live in have a very different perspective in the Quran. Is almost like a, um, a hologram that comes from these deep areas. It's like a hologram in the fact that you can take, you can cut the Quran up. You can take every, you know, sentence, every paragraph, even every letter, and it has the whole within it in that microscopic form, in the same way as a hologram does. And when you understand various aspects of the Qur'an, you do get a different perspective of life, but it emphasises throughout the Qur'an about thinking. Oh, men of understanding. And by men, of course, he's talking about humanity, not just the male the sex. Understanding, just to be able to look at ideas and say, does this make sense? Not oh well if it comes from a reputable source, whatever that means, it must be right. Or it's said by so and so, and Bill Gates we all know is a you know a wonderful person and obviously very intelligent because he made all that money, therefore everything he says is right. Or, you know, Fauci is obviously a doctor, you know, and has obviously been approved of by the government, so he must be right. And if you look at these people what they say doesn't even not only doesn't it stack up logically, it doesn't even stack up with what they've said previously very often. And I have people heard many, many people defending that. So, no, no, that's science. Of course, the ideas change because science changes. Absolute nonsense. I mean, science doesn't change on basic things. You know, the the basic ideas of um, uh, epidemiology and so on haven't changed. But they, and yet, they've modified. Um, the stories in Wikipedia and and things like that, to give a very different perspective on something that's been known by epidemiologists for years and years and years, and that is about herd immunity. I won't go into the details now. So I just want to emphasise the importance of thinking, of actually sitting down and saying, does this make sense? Does this make any logic? Thank you for listening, you can leave comments on my Podbeam page, you can email me phil at braham.net, you can visit my website podcasts.braham.net and I hope to hear back from you, thank you.